good evening. I'm so used to when I'm going around um, delivering, I'm always used to saying good morning to everyone, even if it's in the afternoon. <laughs> so, <laughs> normally good evening, I'm just getting ready, ready to go to bed. Um, but it's really good to be here. It's, it's good to be able to um, look at Philippians 3 and uh, kind of try to understand this a little bit more. I hope... Um, what I bring to you will really help you to un- understand it, to go away from here um, and the different places that you go into in this week. Um, from this passage would kind of be like a ripple effect as you go out into different places, different people that you meet. There may only be a few here, but when we speak to people, when we have conversations with people about Jesus about what Jesus has done um, that can have huge impact and uh, so I hope as we go through this and I won't be that long because I know it's cold and it's wet out there Malcolm told me I'm going to have to be quick um, not too long <laughs> short, short but sweet hopefully I was uh, more short <laughs> so as you know we've been travelling through um, Philippians I wanted to call it Ephesians as well. It seems to roll off the tongue. Um, but last, or not last, now we have arrived at chapter 3. Um, before we get into chapter 3, a little bit of what Philippians is about, because we've been looking at it over five, six weeks, um, or maybe it's the first time um, that you're here. Um, and this is a very brief kind of... Um, overview of the last six weeks and uh, um, Eugene Peterson in the message describes this as Paul's happiest letter and as you read it that happiness is infectious this is what um, Eugene Peterson says, just a very short little bit here the dance of words and the exclamation of delight have a way of getting inside us and as we've looked at Philippians it does, it's an exciting Um, Paul's full of joy. It's amazing, really, because Paul is in a Roman prison. But his love for the Philippians brings him such joy. And this is because they share in a very special partnership through their prayers, evangelism, and suffering for the sake of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ. When you have a common goal... It's amazing what you can achieve. Now, Sarah loves Holby City and uh, Casualty. I would like to say I love them, but I'm normally in the room and I watch them. Um, But I am amazed. um, Don't really know a lot about doctors and surgery and stuff like that, but I'm amazed when they're about trying to save someone's life. Um, That you've got the surgeon and the anaesthetist. And uh, one cuts and the other gives enough drugs to help the patient's heart so that everything happens, the patient survives to live another day. You imagine if they weren't working together. If the niece says, oh no, I'm sorry, no, I don't really want uh, want to do this today, I don't really want to do this. If they didn't work together, it would not work out well. It's a partnership, especially there is really important. 
And when we're fully committed to serving in a partnership, great things can happen. This is why it gives Paul such joy when he thinks about the Philippians as they serve the Lord together. Now God has been doing great things through them, but there has been great opposition along the way. And these verses that we're looking at tonight really highlight the opposition of the Judaizers and how their lies that were trying to take away from the joy of knowing Christ and his free gift of salvation by adding the ritual of circumcision to be saved. But I'm jumping the gun a bit like a sneak preview to a film. Well, what's going to happen is going to be a blockbuster. It's an epic battle between flesh and the spirit. But there's only one winner. So let's take these verses they come and explain what verses 1 to 11 are all about. And it's split into three parts. And then three parts. Stay safe, keep rejoicing the Lord, which we find in verse 1. So don't rejoice in the status or achievements that we find in verses 2 to 6. Instead, put these aside in order to know him and share his life and death in verses 7 to 11. So let's come to the first point. Stay safe, keep rejoicing in the Lord. And it's so important... as Keeping our focus on Jesus really does keep us safe from opposition that wants to lead us astray from the good news of Jesus. Now chapter 3 is a real shift of focus because Paul has been focusing our attention on the partnership of the gospel as they follow the way of the cross. But now he wants the Philippians to keep rejoicing in the Lord. Do not be distracted by those who want to take away their joy of knowing Christ. Now, it can be really easy to lose our joy of being in God's presence. I often remind of this as I go for a walk on the chase with my two dogs, Layla and Chase. Named him Chase after Chase. And he likes to run after things. As we arrive at the chase and make our way through the trees, the dogs run off or they follow close behind. And that gives me uninterrupted time to speak to God about him, his amazing creation and all the things on my heart. It's like this mountaintop experience, just me and God. I wonder if it's a bit how Jesus felt when he went and spoke to the Father alone. Those special times in his Father's presence for us in the presence of God. It doesn't take long to come back down and for me to lose my focus as I come down to the car park, the busyness of it, the noise, and a world that doesn't worship our God. So many distractions and opposition. So Paul calls the Philippians and us to 
keep rejoicing in the Lord. So to keep us safe from forces that want to take away our joy. Point two. So don't rejoice in status or achievement. Verses two to six. So what are these oppositions that Paul warns the believers at Philippi about? When a way it's so clear, as Paul describes them in three different ways, dogs, men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Such strong language, isn't it? Can you see how it escalates? That's try to get the point that these people desire the Philippians no good, even harm a loss of their true faith and a trust in other things not just in Jesus Christ their saviour calling them dogs would have cut them deep such unclean language was how the Jews described the Gentiles but to describe the Jews like that Well, Paul was calling them dogs because of their lies and their deception as they tried to entice the Philippians into being circumcised, spreading their evil thoughts that Christ alone was not enough. But circumcision wasn't a good thing in the Old Testament, a requirement if you were a Jew. It made you set apart for God, one of his people. Now, the, uh, the acts of circumcision is not a subject I like to talk about. It makes me want to cross my legs. <laughs> and uh, so, let me put another thought, another idea in your mind. You own some cows. And you want everyone to know they are yours. You're very proud they are yours. So you brand them, you put your mark, your seal on your cows with a hot poker. Ouch. Not very nice, is it? But you know they're yours. Today we put an ear tag on cows for all the details. I think they're much more humane apart from having their ears pierced. And everyone knows they are your cows. So it seems good, doesn't it? So why does Paul have a problem with all this? This circumcision became a problem for the Jews because they relied on this rather than on their relationship with God. They put all their confidence in their history and status and achievements as a Jew rather than their mighty God who had given them everything in him they could ever need. So these dogs, evil men, mutilated the flesh that come into the Philippians' church claiming circumcision is a must for salvation. They were so wrong to have confidence in this flesh. And Paul in verse 4 says he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh even more and he lifts his achievements. As we can see in verses 5-6, listen to as I read them to you. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, 
faultless. Wow. What a list of achievements Paul has. As I deliver letters, being a postman, because that's what you do, or what I do, I often come across many letters with names on. But some of them have letters after their names, showing what they've achieved in their field or fields. Some even get knighted by the Queen for their great achievements and become a sir or a dame or some other title that I don't really know about. And you can imagine, if Paul had a letter here today, delivered to the church, first of all, it would be dedication of that postman. And we are a dedicated bunch, as Malcolm does tell me. But you'd have to start a new line. You can imagine, like, all Paul's achievements, you'd have his name. And some people might have MBE or a few other letters after. But what Paul achieved as a Jew, he would have to have a whole line to himself, to itself, to explain what he had done. See, verses 5 and 6 are full of what he's done. Now, I'm overemphasizing the point of Paul's achievements as far as the flesh was concerned. He had achievements that could not be rivaled by those Judaizers in any shape or form. Paul would have been on the front of every magazine, the Hello magazine or any other kind of magazine that you might like to read where you've got famous people, the one to aspire to as a Jew. You would have millions of followers on Facebook, Twitter, and those social media platforms if he was alive today. But he gave all this up for someone far greater. He saw all these achievements as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. There's nothing on this earth more valuable than knowing Jesus Christ personally. Nothing else can give a person salvation that leads to eternal life. Only knowing and accepting Christ as your personal saviour can we attain salvation. Let me tell you a story. Andrew had much wealth. Not this Andrew. Just the Andrew in my story. (laughs) Different one. (laughs) Many possessions. One day he piled them all into a boat and set sail, but a terrible storm came and battered the ship or the boat. The boat was starting to list. And the only way to survive was for Andrew to throw all his possessions overboard. Yes, his possessions were very valuable. But because of their weight, he must throw them overboard to survive. In a similar way, Paul had to throw overboard all his old religious goods, his Jewish background, his circumcision, his legalistic righteousness. And Paul regarded all these things as lost so that he might gain Christ and be saved. 
Now Jesus told two parables in Matthew. In chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Now these parables, I think, point towards Paul's action as being right and true. Let me read them to you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And Paul realised that Christ is that something so valuable you'll give everything else up to know him personally. I suppose the challenge for us is, do we know Jesus personally? And that brings us to the third and final point. That's found in verses 7 to 11. Instead, put these aside in order to know him and share his life and death. Paul shows us two important things in these verses. First he shows the how and then the why. The attitude of the confidence in the flesh so characteristic of the Judaizers must be done away with. The how. We can find these in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 3. But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Can you see the increasing intensity that Paul, as he starts with a negative view of his old way of life, an intensity grows and increases at this wonderful positive description of his new experience of knowing Christ. He calls it rubbish, or garbage, garbage. I think this might be an American translation I've got here. I wrote to you. In fact, as dung or refuse, the stuff you chuck away, it is of no good whatsoever. Because you have something new, everlasting, will not fade, will not just will not decay. Words really do not do justice to how amazing this new life in Christ is. In a way, it should blow our minds. Why would we want to add anything to what Christ has already given us? Why would the Philippians even consider adding anything to their salvation that they had in Christ? And then Paul goes on to explain the why. The flesh must be done away with by showing what it means to gain and know Christ. 
and it involves three wonderful R's. Righteousness, relationship and resurrection. Now I want you to try to remember those three R's because um, it might come up a bit later. Uh, I have a little test to see if you remember the three R's. <laughs> when I try to remember three things, I always forget the last one. I'm sure you won't forget resurrection. <laughs> and these wonderful R's are found in verses 9 to 11. Let me read them to you. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now Paul didn't want a righteousness that came from the law by trying to observe the law which would lead to failure and self-adulation. The righteousness Paul wanted was from God through faith, not by his own works or effort but by the free gift of God's grace so that he could not boast in his achievements. Paul seeks not only God's righteousness, but known him personally in a relationship. So we've had righteousness, now we're looking at relationship and the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to know Christ personally, for him to dwell in him. But to share in Christ's life and his power, we must also share in his sufferings. It's not nice to suffer, is it? It's not nice to have to go through hard times. But we can't know Christ without sharing in his sufferings. They go hand in hand. And we, can, we do experience them in everyday life. As we get to know Christ, each if we get to, get to know Christ each day, we want to be more like him. Well, I hope that's how we want to be as Christians. But this means you must inwardly crucify the old sinful nature and its desires. And Romans 8.13 puts it like this and shows that sacrifice is, is worth it. But if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you live. Sacrifice is costly. We must suffer as Christ suffered for us so that we may have life in all its fullness. For Paul in the Philippians, suffering was connected to proclaiming the Gospel. Paul was in prison. The Philippians were being persecuted. We may, we may not experience these kinds of hardships, 
For every Christian will suffer the way of the cross, counting all things lost in order to gain Christ. We may all suffer in different ways and at different levels, but this suffering God uses to transform us into the likeness of his Son. And that brings glory to the Father. That makes me just want to say praise the Lord. The thing I'm going to put up next is looking at the past, present and future. And it's like a a little statement um, I'd like you to have a look at. Now, within there, you should be able to find the three R's um, in the past, the present and the future. So I'm just going to leave you a couple of moments to have a look through it to see if you can pick out righteousness, relationship, and resurrection. If you can't, don't worry, because it took me ages to find them like, looking at myself and I knew they were there. Let me just read it out loud to you. Knowing Jesus has its roots in the past. Trust in his death for righteousness rather than our works. It has implications in the present. It involves sharing in his sufferings and experiencing his resurrection power through them as you become like him. But it also has ongoing consequences for the future. Paul knows that his past decisions and present lifestyle will lead to his future glory, the resurrection from the dead. And that thing focuses on Paul. Maybe put yourself, in, especially in that lot, on that, the whole, whole lot there, just to think through those things. As Christ has risen, so are those who are in him. Paul knows this assurance and it can be ours if we put our trust in Christ and rejoice in him. And as I come to finish, let me give you a verse from next week to whet your appetite, to make you come back, hopefully. It's from Philippians 3, verse 21. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform your lowly bodies so that that they will be like his glorious body. What wonderful words to finish on.